0: Today on Blue 58, what keeps Joe Barry up at night? The Packers defensive coordinator should have his share of worries heading into the 2023 season. Let's talk through a couple of them. Blue Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. I want to talk a little bit about Joe Barry today, but first I want to circle back to a discussion we had in our last episode about Aaron Jones' usage rate. An uh, interesting discussion broke out in our Discord server following that last episode, including one small oversight that we failed to talk about as far as Aaron Jones' usage for last year, his red zone performance. Now, the Packers were pretty uniformly bad in the red zone, I think just about every way you slice it i don't think aaron rodgers was particularly good in 2022 in the red zone they had trouble getting their skill position players kind of on the same page there and just looking at their their skill position guys they don't have a they didn't have a lot of guys last year who could really be effective red zone targets the tight end position was really not set up to create mismatches in the red zone between the youth and, inexper- and inexperience at wide receiver, you didn't have a whole lot of options there unless you wanted to go with Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, and making plays in the red zone is really not their game at this point in their respective careers. That's never really been what Alan Lazard has done. He's always been more like a a setup kind of guy. He's the guy you use to get down the field toward the end zone, and then Devontae Adams or whoever takes over from there. But Aaron Jones in particular seemed to be a little bit off his pace in 2022. That's the that's the thinking at least. Does that actually hold up? Generally, yes. Compared to 2021, not necessarily, not quite as much as you would think. In 2022, the Packers ran 144 plays in the red zone. Aaron Jones participated in 38 of them, and by participate I mean he either carried the ball or was a target with the pass. So he had 29 carries and 9 targets. Uh, in 2022. That is actually down in terms of overall numbers from 2021. the Previous year, he had 47 uh, overall plays, uh, 32 carries, and 15 targets. However, as a percentage, it's an increase. He was up to about 26% of the plays in 2022, where he was the the main focal point where they used those plays on him. That's an increase of just under 23% from 2021. However, that Kind of gets away from an overall trend or or, or highlights, I guess, an overall trend away from using Aaron Jones in the red zone. Back in 2019, Aaron Jones used a full third of the Packers' plays in the red zone that season. They ran 134 plays in the red zone that year. He had 33 carries and 13 targets, sorry, 12 targets for a total of 45 plays used. Almost exactly 33%, 33 33.5% if you want to really split hairs there. He has been trending downward in terms of red zone usage over the next few years, and there's really not a good reason for that. Devontae Adams got to be a bigger part of the red zone offense, that's true, but he was still on the team in 2019 and 2020 and even in 2021. Aaron Jones should not have been trending down that significantly. He was down to 30% in 2020 and then 22% again in 2021. That is a trend heading in the wrong direction. Even if he dipped up slightly in 2022, overall, he is headed in the wrong direction. And there's a particular area of the red zone where he's been getting less attention overall. Sometimes people talk about the high red zone or the low red zone. Basically, what they mean by that is high red zone is the, the... further away from the end zone, in the red zone. So, like, the 10-yard to the 20-yard line, just to pick some arbitrary numbers, would be the high red zone. And then the 10-yard line and in would be the low red zone. In that particular area of the field, the low red zone, that's where Jones' use hedge has really dropped off precipitously. Over the past three years, in fact, he's gone down, actually, over the past four years, he's gone down all but one season. In 2019, he got a full, again, 33% of the Packers' low red zone plays, 19 rushes and four targets. The next year it was down to 28%. The next year it was down to 19%. And then this year it went up slightly in 2022 to just over 20%. If the Packers are looking to change how they use Aaron Jones in 2022, getting him more involved in the red zone would be the way to do it. And this is not just a factor of the Packers getting to the red zone less, their overall plays are. Pretty similar year over year. Twenty twenty one is the big outlier in terms of the number of plays that they ran in the red zone. Overall, it's it's basically between one hundred thirty four and one hundred and fifty nine. Uh, three out of the last four years, they've they've been in the red zone basically the same number of plays over the course of those seasons. Aaron Jones has just not been quite as involved, and he needs to be more involved. That the Packers are going to to play better uh, offensive football in twenty twenty three. Let's talk about Joe Barry. I started a mini series a couple of episodes ago called Three Questions, and I've been trying to find a way to land on defense with a couple of these episodes because I feel like a lot of our discussion this this offseason has centered on the offense, and for good reason, to be fair. The Packers traded Aaron Rodgers, they've got Jordan Love, and then three of their top four draft picks in this most recent draft were on offense. On top of that, you've got Aaron Jones coming back. You've got David Bakhtiari coming back. There were and continue to be a lot of things to talk about on the offensive side of the ball. So spending time on that side of the ball does make sense. But there's an entirely different side of the ball that we need to talk about, too. What's going on with the Packers' defense? And I didn't have three questions about Joe Barry in particular. I to be honest, have a lot more questions, but they're, they're nothing that should be particularly surprising about Joe Barry in particular. But thinking about Joe Barry doing his job, the question I kept coming back to was what keeps him up at night? What does he think about? What does he worry about? What is he sitting here thinking about in May that he just doesn't have answers for and I think if you approach things that way you start to see where the Packers defense could have some vulnerabilities especially areas where they don't necessarily have a solution or even a way to get to a solution that doesn't involve some really really drastic things that they are probably not prepared or able to do this question really criticized crystallized for me But I was reading a piece by Bill Huber today at Sports Illustrated or Fan Nation or whatever they call it now. But he's writing about Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker, pointing out that if the Packers are going to improve anywhere internally, linebacker is the place they've got to do it on defense. Let me read to you a a part of this piece, which is titled Defensive Improvement Must Start at Linebacker. Solid title there. Tells you exactly what you need to know. Anyway. He writes, it's hard to project improvement on the defensive line with two day three draft picks replacing Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed. It's hard to project improvement at outside linebacker until Rashawn Gary is fully back from his torn ACL. It's hard to project improvement at safety without Adrian Amos. It's hard to project improvement at cornerback until Eric Stokes returns to his rookie form. It's hard to project improvement from the coaching staff with Joe Berry back as defensive coordinator. Not that improvement can't come from any and all of those spots. Maybe defensive tackle Devontae Wyatt will be a second-year stud, and outside linebacker Lucas Van Ness will be a rookie sensation. But where there is an obvious potential for improvement, perhaps even a likelihood, is inside linebacker with the tandem of Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. And I really like the reasoning here. It goes on for a lot of very well-made points and things like that, but the overall thrust here is that if the Packers are going to have any significant internal improvement on defense, linebacker is the place where it needs to happen. We did a pretty in-depth dive on where Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker came up short in 2022, earlier this offseason. And if you look at just about every major metric that you could possibly use to track linebackers, they were well behind the top performers in the NFL. Coverage grade, Depth of tackle, you know, tackling grade. Across the board, just a poor season, I think, generally speaking, from Campbell and Walker. Not to say that there weren't bright spots, and there were for both of them. Devondre Campbell had one of the most exciting plays of the year with his massive interception return against Washington. Quay Walker consistently flashed a physical presence, the likes of which we've not seen at linebacker. Shoot, I can't even say When? The Packers haven't had a specimen like Quay Walker at linebacker, really, I would say, in the time that I've been closely following the Packers. You're looking at, you know, 90s football for an adequate comparison there, and even then, they don't just, they just do not make a lot of players that have the physical attributes of a guy like Quay Walker. The talent is all there, but the performance was just not there in 2022. And if you just look at Devondre Campbell in particular, 2021 was an outstanding year. Great, great year. Twenty twenty two, not so good. Even if he doesn't get all the way back to where he was in 2021, say he's just halfway between 2022 and 2021 for 2023, that's still a significant improvement for the for the Packers defense. And if Quay Walker is even slightly better than he was in year one and year two, say he cuts his ejections in half. That's a significant improvement. But you know, joking aside, even if he manages to you know, take just a couple of steps forward, doesn't even fully tap his potential, just being better than he was in 22 is going to be an additional big step forward. So if the Packers, like Huber writes here, are going to improve on defense, linebacker is an obvious place to look. But that brings me back to my question here. If you're talking about things that Joe Barry is worried about, linebacker might be one, because if you're counting on internal improvement for this defense and linebacker is your best bet, the question that comes to mind for me is what happens if the linebackers don't improve over where they were in 2022? Say Devondre Campbell battles injuries again. Say Quay Walker just can't ramp up the processing speed to where he needs to be to really harness his physical gifts. What does that do for your defense? Leaves you with a pretty big gaping hole in the middle. And with a run defense that was suspect last year and didn't really add a whole lot of you know, run-stomping prospects throughout this spring, the offseason, looks like the Packers are going to get run on a whole lot more if Campbell and Walker can't take some steps forward from where they were in 2022. There really is no internal fix there. The second question is kind of related to that. What if Kenny Clark loses a step in 2023? I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying any sort of age-related decline is imminent for Kenny Clark. But one thing has always been true about Kenny Clark. He has always played a lot of snaps. The Packers have never been afraid to have him out on the field a whole lot. And honestly, he's needed to be out there a whole lot. Dating back to 2018, he has never played fewer than 71% of the defensive snaps in a given season. And that season he was down because he missed a few games. He was down to just 13 games played in 2020. Last year it was 78%, 2021 it was 78%, 19, 18, 84, and 83% respectively. He's been on the field a lot for the Packers. We haven't even talked about the 80 special team snaps he played in 2022 as well. Kenny Clark logs a lot of time for the Packers. So what if he loses half a step? Or what if we're back to 2020 and he misses three games? Or you know, like he's had a couple of recent seasons, just some injuries, you know, a couple little nagging injuries that limit him to 13 games, or maybe don't even limit him in terms of games played, but make it so he plays the entire season at 80% or 85%. Who else do the Packers really have that they can count on? I'm not talking like adequate players, just like NFL caliber players. I'm talking about a guy who can be like the tone setter for the group there. It's probably not Devontae Wyatt. It's probably not TJ Slayton. It's probably not Jonathan Ford. And if you start going beyond that, Chris Slayton, Carl Brooks, Colby Wooden, you're down to rookies and other undrafted prospects beyond that. Kenny Clark is more than just the best defensive lineman the Packers have. He's the only one who's had any kind of not to say NFL success, like NFL playing time. Devontae Wyatt barely played last year. If Kenny Clark can't be even what he was in 2022, which I don't think was his finest season, though I think he started off plenty strong, if he can't even be what he was in 2022, the Packers defensive line could be in really rough shape. That's something that I would be worried about if I was Joe Barry as well. The third thing, and I know that every team deals with injuries, but I think any combination of injuries in the Packers secondary would be just about disastrous right now. Darnell Savage is one of the Packers' two starting safeties, at least nominally right now. He's going to get first crack at the job given what his salary situation is and the, the other newcomers coming in. He's going to be up there in terms of playing time. Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes are going to be your top two corners. But other than that, it's a bunch of newcomers, and it's a bunch of guys that have not been super solid contributors elsewhere. And Rudy Ford is in there, too. We shouldn't, shouldn't let him you know, escape this conversation. He was solid at times last year though really couldn't sustain some of the, the hot streaks that he had. But if the Packers lose one of those guys that they're counting on to be starters, even Darnell Savage, you're getting pretty far down your depth chart already. And we're barely, you know, barely scratched the surface in terms of injuries. Two of those guys go down. Good luck. It's a bunch of essentially no-name guys with respect to Mr. Sabone Biles himself, Jonathan Owens. I mean, he did lead the Houston Texans in tackles last year for whatever that's worth. But it's a lot of guys that are on second and third NFL chances. There is not a lot of depth in the secondary and any combination of injuries, even to some of those newcomer guys, puts your depth in a really, really rough spot. Finally, maybe it's something that NFL coaches become immune to over time. Maybe not, given the nature of this business. I don't know. But we don't really know what Joe Barry's contract situation is like. But given what we know about how most non-head coach contract situations work, stands to reason he is on the third of three years as far as his contract goes. We saw this play out with Jerry Gray recently. He was on a three-year cycle with his contract. His contract expired. He left. We saw this with Mike, Mike Pettin. He was on a three-year cycle. His contract expired, and he left. Going back a little bit further, we saw this with Alex Van Pelt, the former quarterback's coach. Three years is generally how assistants have their contracts go. If you're scoring at home, Joe Barry is in contract year number three. What does his NFL future look like? What does he have to do to secure his NFL future? You can make jokes about getting the job for you know good reasons or bad reasons or point out that he got jobs for good reasons or bad reasons. But at some point, that luck is going to run out. And if it's me, I'm wondering what I have to do to make sure that that luck continues. I don't know how you fix the Packers' defense schematically with as many different changes as they've had on that side of the ball, with as many you know different guys coming in and out, the secondary turning over, Rashawn Gary being injured, Eric Stokes being injured, the general lack of talent on the defensive line that we've talked about. At, cert- at a certain point, human nature has to come into the factor of has to factor in there. And I'd be a little bit worried for for my NFL future. This can't go on forever. It doesn't go on forever for anybody. Even Bill Belichick is going to be without a job at some point, probably by his own choice. But the clock is ticking on everybody who works in the NFL. What is Joe Barry going to do in 2022 to make sure he's get or 2023 to make sure he's getting an NFL paycheck in 2024? It would cross my mind. I would have to think it crossed his too. We'll close with a reader question, listener question today. FMP330 drops this one in our Discord server. I've already heard that the center was the most important position on the offensive line in which he defines the markings for each teammate or the responsibilities for each teammate on the line. Is that true? And if other qualities are specifically necessary for this position, what are the ones that Josh Myers lacks that he needs to improve? This question came as we've sort of discussed the Will they? Won't they? Aspect of uh, the center job competition. Zach Tom has been said to be getting some looks as a potential center candidate. Uh, Sean Ryan is getting looks as a center. Um, DJ Scaife, that the Packers signed, is is listed as a center now. You've got Jake Hansen, who can do center stuff, and Josh Myers, the incumbent starter there. I ran this question by an offensive line coach friend of mine. We can go way back. Um, I didn't include him in the Josh Meyer specific portion of that but as far as the actual responsibilities of the of a center what makes that position unique here's what he had to say and a little bit about his background he coaches offensive line has has worked at the high school and college levels former all-state offensive lineman as well he knows what he's talking about in terms of of center play uh, was a center himself in fact at the college level too so here was his take what are the, you know, unique skills and abilities that a center needs to have? You know, what is he doing in terms of the the down-in, down-out responsibilities? His answer, the offensive system will determine how involved the center is with audibles, assignments, and blitz pickups. For most power-running teams, it is very much on the individual lineman to know and be responsible for their assignment and spreads into neighbor accountabilities, like tackles calling out to a guard to inform if a combo block turns into a solo because of a walk-up linebacker or a shifted defensive end. In pass blocking, some teams even assign their own blocking structure. I would say that every system from there adds responsibilities to the center in terms of what they need to know and a mapping out of the blocking scheme for the rest of the line. As far as the other qualities goes, first, a consistency in their shotgun and pistol snaps. No other athlete is held to the same 100% center that a, a standard that a center has to be at. Two, the ability to read and, and remember the defense and suggest adjustments to the coach. And three, this is a unique one that I haven't talked about with other coaches, but I believe there are two very important roles that the line has to designate. Everyone knows that there is a leader, the one that the rest of the line and even the skinny people will follow. Side note, he likes to call the quote unquote skill positions, the skinny people because, well, they're skinnier than the offensive lineman, but he doesn't like the term skill positions. He prefers the big guys and the skinny people. Anyway, even the skinny people will follow because of their leadership. I believe that there is also a person that embodies the heart of the offensive line. The leader is someone that everyone will follow directions for, but the heart is someone that the rest of the line will want to give up uh, in tough games or situations. But if the heart is still standing, they'll push through. That's an intangible. It only comes out in the roughest games or on the worst conditioning days. But more often than not, it is the center. So a lot to chew on there. You've got a lot of specific responsibilities as a center, but you also need to be kind of just the de facto leader, you know, right behind the quarterback because you have so many of those responsibilities. This is tracked with my own observations as well. The center just gets a lot of attention because of being the pivot of the offensive line. Your blocking schemes often will shift one way or another based on who the center can pick up, where the Mike Linebacker is. Your responsibilities build out from there based on the center's direction. As far as what Josh Myers needs to improve there, the intangible stuff is is a tough one to really call out. We don't know what things are like behind closed doors, so we can't really speak on that all that much. And I think if he manages to hold off whatever challenge may be coming his way this summer, whatever the case may be as far as how real that position battle actually is, that would do, I would think, something as far as giving him the bona fides he needs to be a, a leader in the locker room for the Packers. And, you know, as an aside, he's got essentially two years of starting experience here. That puts him as one of the elder statesmen on this, you know, particular Packers offensive team. You've got David Bakhtiari, you've got Elton Jenkins, sure, be, but beyond that, the long tenured guys on the offense are John Runyon and Myers and only technically Jordan Love, but that's really about it he is one of the more experienced guys on this offense. So if he can win his job or secure his job this summer, I would have to think in terms of leadership type stuff, that's got to count for something. As far as the more tangible stuff, I think uh, our coach friend here makes some good points as far as, you know, the gap versus man versus zone responsibilities coming down to the center and getting people lined up there. That's, I think, something where you could see potentially a little improvement from Myers just an absolute guess here, though. The Packers have been doing some more gap stuff, uh, getting people, you know, aligned and and handled from that respect. Uh, could be something that he could improve on. Uh, but I think in terms of some of the just the blocks that the Packers are asking him to do, there there is a little bit more responsibility on the center the way that they have been running their offense the last year or so. He had to make some outrageously difficult blocks in twenty twenty two. Some things that. You know, I've, I've watched a couple offensive line gurus out there, Brandon Thorne in particular, noted a couple times the Packers had him doing some really wild and wacky stuff in terms of the reach blocks they were asking him to make on some of the runs that they were making. Just going a couple of gaps over to get in front of a nose tackle already shaded outside of his gap. Just really tough stuff for Myers. And it's one thing to say that's hard and you know try to give him a you know, great amount of curve for not being able to make it. But on the other hand, this is the NFL like you can't just say, well, it's hard. I can't do it. Yeah, sure. But this is what they needed you to do. You got to be able to get it done. And if you can't, they'll try to find somebody else who can. And I think that's why Myers finds himself maybe in the position that he's in. But again, this has been one of our long running questions. How real is this offensive line battle, this center battle anyway? We'll find out here in a month or two exactly what that's going to look like. But you have to think there's at least something to it given how many candidates the Packers have mentioned as far as guys taking some center reps. So there are some of the responsibilities. There are the things that the Packers, you know, might be asking of Myers and how he could maybe live up to them a little bit more. There's nothing that is going to gain you credibility more than holding off challenges for your job though, because that means you're probably playing at a high level and it means that you responded to some adversity. So if if the Packers are looking for more intangible stuff from their center and Myers gets, you know, challenged this summer from guys coming behind him and manages to up his game, well, that probably counts for something as far as your leadership qualities too. And it never hurts to have some of those guys who are are leaders in your locker room. That is something we've tried to to talk a little bit about in some inelegant ways, maybe over the past couple of years, but culture and leadership and things like that they do matter and figuring out those guys who can be leaders often just comes down to who's playing and Myers being again, one of those longer tenured guys on offense makes him a leader by default. If he can seize that role and seize that opportunity that has to help both him and the Packers, I think overall. So I've got for you in this episode of blue 58, I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.